Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all those who participate in worship. Uh, Lord, uh, uh, it it takes a village, really, to lead in worship, and we thank you for each one uh, who is here uh, to lead us each Sunday, and those who are downstairs uh, speaking uh, your love into our children's lives and telling them about Jesus. So we're we're just so grateful for each person who uh, who participates week in and week out. Lord, we ask that you'd bless this time, uh, that you would <clears throat> uh, give me strength of voice uh, to be able to share this morning uh, and to proclaim uh, your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're <coughs> on the last of the Beatitudes, and I'm going to read uh, the entire section. Uh, this one is Like many of them, it's a difficult uh, beatitude. It's not one that we really uh, want to deal with, but it is here in Scripture, and we must uh, deal with it, and and Jesus was serious uh, about each of these beatitudes. This is a part of living the Christian life. So listen to God's Word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, we come to the final beatitude, and you may recall that I said from the very beginning that these beatitudes are paradoxical. They make statements which at at first glance are very hard to understand. They, They seem contradictory. They seem to defy logic, and yet they are true. They're shocking, and none perhaps more shocking than this last beatitude. In fact, so shocking that whereas the others only require one verse, this one requires three verses. Beginning with the 10th verse, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then rejoice and be glad For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This beatitude is so shocking that it requires three verses. Jesus repeats twice, blessed are the persecuted. Not only does he repeat it, he intensifies it. He gets personal in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely 
on my account. <clears throat> and what's even more shocking is that we have stories of people who have testified to supernatural joy in the midst of persecution. When Peter and the other apostles were flogged by the Sanhedrin, Acts 5.41 tells us that they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 24, documents his persecutions and his hardships. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then do you know what he says just a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 12, 10? For the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's not just biblical characters who have found joy in the midst of suffering. Samuel Rutherford, the Scottish pastor, wrote from his prison cell, I never knew by nine years of preaching so much of Christ's love as he taught me in Aberdeen by six months imprisonment. Even today, you hear stories of people finding joy despite persecution. I read just this week of through the voice of the martyrs of an Iranian woman whose father was executed for his Christian beliefs when she was only 17 years old. And rather than becoming bitter and rejecting her father's faith, three days later, she recommitted her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, for three decades, she has taken the gospel to Muslim people in Iran and other places around the world. You know, my reaction to Jesus' beatitude and my reaction to such stories is to ask, how? How is that possible? How can people find joy in the midst of persecution? Well, the first thing we need to realize in answer to that question is that it's not enjoyment of persecution itself. To enjoy persecution is a perversion of what Jesus and Peter and Paul and others taught. Persecution in and of itself is neither blessed nor joyous. But there is a kind of persecution which receives God's blessings and can even bring us joy. <clears throat> Let me try to explain. The Beatitude does not say blessed are those who are persecuted, period. End of statement. No. The Beatitude says blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you on my account, on Jesus' account. The persecution that is blessed comes and is due to righteous living 
and it's on Jesus' account. In other words, the persecution that brings blessings from God and even can bring a measure of joy is when you and I suffer and endure hardship for deliberately and consistently walking the Christian life, living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, one of the reasons Christians are persecuted in America at least, or at the very least ridiculed, is not for following Christ, but because we do not follow Christ. Some are persecuted in America because we're rude, we're insensitive, we're thoughtless, we're obnoxious. Yes, the phrase do not judge is often used out of context by non-believers, but quite frankly, sometimes, beloved, we're too proud, we're too pious, we're too judgmental. So we need to be careful here. Christ's words must be taken in their entirety. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake and on Christ's account. And in the context here, this righteous living, which is supremely demonstrated by Jesus, is living in accordance with the other seven Beatitudes. Professor Kent Hughes points out that if you and I truly live in accordance with the Beatitudes, we're bound to be persecuted. Because the world simply cannot tolerate such a life. Why does he say that? Well, consider the Beatitudes. First, consider poverty of spirit. This Beatitude runs counter to the pride of our world. The world admires the self-sufficient, not those who recognize how hopeless we are apart from the love of God in Christ. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin and repent. The world doesn't want to acknowledge sin and certainly isn't interested in mourning over it. Third, blessed are the meek. Does the world honor meekness? No. Conventional wisdom is that meekness is weakness. Fourth, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I believe it's a foreign concept to many, perhaps even to most, in a world that hungers and thirsts for that which we can see and touch and taste. Fourth, blessed are the merciful. I would argue that the person who feels compassion and offers forgiveness is pretty out of step with our litigious, grudge-bearing society. Six, blessed are the pure in heart. Again, those with a single-minded devotion to live in accordance with God's Word and God's will, well, we're out of step, out of step with a self-focused, self-centered society. Seventh, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who will not settle for cheap grace, for simple appeasement, but are willing to work for peace, to do the hard work and to take the risk of peacemaking, well, they're pretty unsettling for both those who seek peace at all costs and those who thrive on hostility. You see, living according to the Beatitudes, beloved, is living like Jesus. And when we live like Jesus, we will be ostracized. There will be times that we're rejected. There will be times that we're insulted and persecuted. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. And in verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute 
you. It's a hard teaching. But we should not be surprised when the persecution comes, but rather surprised when it does not come. When we're persecuted, you and I can have some measure of joy because it's an assurance that we're living for Jesus. We don't go looking for persecution. We especially don't seek to be obnoxious or rude or generally unpleasant. But when we're persecuted, it can be a sign that we're out of step with the world and we're in step with Jesus. There's a joy and a blessing in knowing that you and I are walking with the Lord. And persecution can take many forms. We know from history and even from current events that it can go to physical extremes. But the word translated persecuted in Matthew 5.10 has the root idea of being pressed and pursued. It carries with it the notion of being harassed. The word translated revile in verse 11 literally means to cast in one's teeth. So the notion is to get in one's face with insults and with mockery and with cursing. Persecution in, it, in its extreme can be physical and emotional torture. But it can also be verbal harassment, ostracism, mockery, and insult. It can take the form of a dedicated employee being overlooked for a promotion because the brass does not like his or her uncompromising Christian ethics. A student can be ridiculed by professors and students alike because they have a distinctly Christian stance in a classroom debate. The professor, in some cases, may even give the student a lower grade just because of their Christian beliefs. Persecution can take the form of a neighbor excluding you from conversations and from neighborhood gatherings just because you refuse to delight in evil gossip. And here's the sad reality. Here's the sad reality. And I don't like what I'm about to say any more than you're going to like it, but it's the truth. And the truth must convict us before it can ever set us free. If we're not being harassed and insulted and mocked, at least occasionally, it may be because we're not really living for Jesus. It may be that you and I have compromised too much with the world. It, it may mean that you and I live so much like the rest of the world that we're not even worth harassing. It may mean that we laugh too much at the world's humor. It may mean that we watch too much of its entertainment. It may mean that we gossip like others. It may mean that we rarely speak about Jesus and we surely don't speak about the realities of heaven and hell. And most of all, it may be because we do not share our faith. We do not witness. In 2010, David Platt wrote a very convicting book titled Radical, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. The premise of the book is that the American church looks more like the American dream than taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. 
He writes, somewhere along the way we've missed what is radical about our faith and we've replaced it with what is comfortable. We settled for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually going out and abandoning ourselves. Further, he says, you and I can choose to continue with business as usual in the Christian life and in the church as a whole, enjoying success based on the standards defined by the culture around us. Or we can take an honest look at the Jesus of the Bible and dare to ask, what would be the consequences? What would be the consequences if we really believed Him and we really obeyed Him? One consequence, folks, is that we will be insulted. We will be betrayed. We will be harassed. We will be mocked and cursed and hated and perhaps even physically persecuted. We will because Jesus was betrayed. He was harassed. He was insulted. He was mocked. He was cursed. He was hated. He was beaten. And he was tortured unto death upon a cross. If they persecuted him, they will persecute us. However, Jesus, the the model of the persecuted Christian, said in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we are persecuted, we have the assurance, beloved, that not only are we walking with the, in the footsteps of the prophets, but we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We have the assurance that we're becoming more Christ-like, and we can rejoice in that truth. But the ultimate source of our joy is the ultimate reward. Your reward is great in heaven. And the word translated great literally means immeasurably great. Anything you have suffered for God's glory and for the gospel of Jesus Christ will not go unrewarded. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray to God. Lord, the the disciples told you from time to time, this is hard teaching, Lord. None of us like to be harassed and insulted and mocked and belittled. And we don't like physical pain. We don't seek after physical pain. And you don't call us to seek to be persecuted. But you do call us to live for you. You do call us to live like you. And you've plainly told us that when we do, when we do, there will be persecution. So Lord, would you strengthen us for that calling? I don't like it. Others here would say the same. 
Perhaps comfort is our biggest God. Would you strengthen us for the calling? And when it comes, when it comes, help us rejoice in the knowledge that we're walking with you, O Lord, that we're walking in your footsteps. Help us stand strong and not compromise our faith, trusting that you will bring us to your heavenly kingdom. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, and empower us and make us strong for the days in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace today and forevermore.